Hi, and welcome to Hanging with the Oregon Homies. And, and this is Oscar and... Frankie. And of course, that our, our show runs Friday from 12.30 to 1, and it repeats on Saturday from 12.30 to 1, and also that we are available on our pod, for podcast. Yep. Any place you uh, get your podcast from, you can find us there. We thought that maybe today we wanted to talk about discrimination. And, you know, I think probably every program we talk about discrimination in one <laughs> form or another, but we don't often talk about discrimination that maybe has happened with us or, or with people that we know. I think we get really insulated living here on the coast thinking mm-hmm. that everything is so great and, and there's no discrimination and we all live happily um, with each other. Um, and, and for the most part, I would say that's probably pretty true. But it does show up in sneaky ways, like in education or in other ways. And so we thought we'd talk about that today um, and give you some insight into some of our experiences. One thing I wanted to mention first is if you know any Latinos, um, a little bit or or you know maybe you have a neighbor or a friend or something um, and and you might find that they never talk about when they've been discriminated against or when something happens to them and so that kind of feeds into this the stereotype that there aren't it's not happening mm-hmm. everything's okay that's yep yeah. and so but actually folks I think encounter quite a lot of discrimination mm-hmm. And just never mention it. They might mention it to each other, but they wouldn't necessarily mention it to a white person. And why do you think that is, Oscar? Most of it, I believe that it comes into that because we're still a minority group. Mm-hmm. And uh, and everybody seems to uh, think that the Latino voice is it's not important. Yeah. Yeah. And... and, and, and we feel vulnerable, mm-hmm. especially if we're more newly arrived, maybe, um, than someone like me who's been here, you know, who's second, third generation. Um, I don't have much to fear from anybody in terms of, you know, no one, well, they could call immigration on me, but it wouldn't go <laughs> anywhere. You know, I don't have all those, those vulnerabilities. And so while I'm very upfront about it, that's also because of my training and my education. Um, most, and in fact, we've I've I've done symposiums and things where we've had lots of Latinos. And if you say so, how have you been discriminated against? Usually, in that venue, you won't. Nobody will say anything. Oh, you know, no, everything's fine. It's all okay. And so, don't be fooled in the sense that you think that it doesn't happen here. Um, it's just this this um, feeling of, of, of vulnerability that, and, and many people, especially if they're more newly arrived, feel like they're really guests in this country. And, mm-hmm. and so it's not, it's not their place to, to criticize or to say something's bad or something. And so, um, so I think that's why if you're sitting back thinking, well, there's no discrimination here, <laughs> um, 
it, it, it's not, it, it may not be so true. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't have mobs going yeah. around. Well, we did, actually. Um, back when my sister and brother-in-law had a little Mexican store in Nye Beach, gosh, I can't even tell you how many years ago that was, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, and um, that was at a time when people in Newport had just discovered that uh, at the fish plants, uh, there were a lot of, of Mexicans working at the fish plants, and it was kind of a new thing. Folks had just sort of discovered that this is a good place to work, and, and, um, and so there were mobs who did go around and smash windows, and I remember uh, my sister and brother-in-law talking about needing to spend the night in their store to protect it. Luckily, nothing happened to them, and everything died down, but um, we have not always been welcome here. And uh, and certainly uh, the time showed it. And but you know, fast forward into the present time. Um, uh, I a, a little while back, a few years ago, when um, we had a different school board, there were many Latino and Latin, and um, uh, Mesoamerican families who would go to the to the school board and say, we have concerns about how our children are being treated, and not the present school board, but the past school board, there were rumors that the board president refused to listen to their concerns. And um, that's when a lot of folks got together and said, we need new school board members. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we got new school board members who I'm hoping are more responsive now to uh, complaints by our uh, our Mesoamerican um, families, but I still think there's problems, a lot of problems with the schools. Do you hear of any of them, or have your kids had any issues <clears throat> that you can think of? Well, right now they're with my kids that I haven't heard anything, uh, but the only thing it is when I see that, when they speak out to the community, Mm-hmm. And this is something that which I have a unique point of view there where I'm able that of being bilingual. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I go like to parent meetings and if I see Latino families, one of the things that which they usually say it's uh, there is a communication issue. Oh, can you say more about that? And what I mean that by by uh, communication, it is on some of the forms which were at first being presented to them was all in English. Ah, uh, to the parents. Yes. Ah, uh, gotcha. So for them, that there's something that which it doesn't make context. So, so parents couldn't really understand w- what they were signing. And that that's still happening in present mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I see, and see, and then that the other thing it is. Uh, when, see that when we look at Latinos that in education, mm-hmm. uh, we always think that a brown versus uh, uh, the uh, brown uh, board of education. Ah, right. But prior to brown, there was a case that which was in uh, California that which was that Mendes versus Westminster, mm-hmm. and if this case that was sent to the Supreme Court. This would have set up the president before Brown. Oh wow! Yes, so <clears throat> so it's see and 
see, and just a real quickly was that this court case was of a uh, Mexican wife and a uh, Puerto Rican husband, uh-huh. which their children that were brown skinned, mm-hmm. and then her sister in law had children that were light skinned. Uh-huh. So they actually asked them to go re- register that that their children and uh, to go register them that at their local school but of course at once they saw the last name and the skin tone they were denied uh-huh but the only thing was that the sister-in-law had was light fair skin and had a and had a different last name uh. so you see so her children's were admitted right okay so this is where, of course, that where we come that where it's uh, it's sec- see that with the idea that of separate and equal. So this was Except actually there, the there first case. There weren't mm-hmm. Latino schools, so mm-hmm. there was no separate. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, if you don't have a school that you can send your kids to at all, then that's not that violates well mm-hmm. board of education. But then from there, that see, so let's fast forward now. Uh, do, and do we still see that the same problems in, that in education? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, that some of the programs that which we, which 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 school districts that have tried to in, uh, try to implement, like with um, ESOL and of course that in, uh, uh, in, uh, English speakers of other languages. Uh huh. But the only thing is that sometimes that these programs are ineffective. And why do you think that? Because <clears throat> they will just try and teach them that the bare minimum. Mm. Okay. So this is where I can use my personal experience uh-huh. that I've seen that of why I kept my children monolingual. And that's that's a very controversial <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, uh, perspective or, or policy that your family decided on. Yes, but the only thing was that we kept on the monolingual that we see in a Texas that if you just spoke Spanish, mm-hmm. you were automatically placed into the ESOL program. Uh-huh. Now, trying to get out of ESOL was a uh, Herculean task of trying to do. And so how, how would you be able to get out? Um, would you have to keep taking those, those, I can't remember what those tests are called. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Yes. Efficiency tests. Yes, but they will do them in Spanish. They didn't see it. See, <clears throat> and so what happens was instead of uh, providing you that the tools that in order for you to uh, to exit at the program, uh-huh. they were still holding you back. That because that this is the way. Which of course, the uh, <clears throat> test scores for each school would that. See, those test scores that would not be affected. Oh. Okay. So that's part of the reason why that my wife and I, that we, that we decided to keep their children that, mm-hmm. ma- that monolingual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That in order to avoid, again, that the stigma. Right. Yeah, I, I, I didn't have that experience because um, I think my sisters would have, um, because I think when, because they're seven and eight years older than I am, um, they, my understanding is they knew English when they went to school, but they also spoke Spanish. But then 
um, they they just learned English and that's all they spoke and so that's partly why I don't know Spanish because and and you have to remember this is 50 60 years ago at least and um, and it wasn't valued to speak another language and we've talked about that a lot I think on our airwaves here um, and so um, uh, we so I don't speak Spanish unfortunately and I used to be mad at my parents about that and you know I've forgiven them of course by now um, but I thought well why didn't you teach me Spanish that would have been really good for me but you know, in the 50s and 60s and 70s, it wasn't good for anybody. Yeah. And, you know, they had to, uh, my mom, uh, when she was school age, her and her brothers uh, went to school in um, Toledo. And they didn't have any way to teach them English or any other language, or uh, uh, they didn't have anything called ESL. So they just had to sit in a corner till they learned English, which, um, they did, and you know, but they didn't have any education until until they were able to participate. But you know, I, what what I get really worried about when it comes to dis well, I, I worry a lot about discrimination in all forms, but in education because what what we're teaching kids is you know let's say your kids were stuck in the ESL mm -hmm. classroom for whatever reason, whether it be that the school is getting extra money for every student that's in that in that classroom, and I believe that is true in Oregon, um, or whether they just don't know how to transition kids out, or, or because you're brown, you just always belong in an ESL classroom, which I'm thinking mm -hmm. is probably more the case. <coughs> um, uh, it's, it's unfortunate that we can't value all the languages that that people know, and and you're the you're the specialist in early childhood education. Isn't it true that if you can learn in your own language, that you mm -hmm. can learn f better or faster? I yes. Don't well, <clears throat> well, that when it comes to language de uh, development, the most important thing it is for those children that we want them to be that bilingual. Mm -hmm. they first have to have that their home language right fully developed and right. so that means uh once they have fully developed that their primary language mm -hmm. and then that the acquisition that of the second language that becomes much easier so so there are <coughs> pathways out yes. of this yes uh but the only thing it is this now comes that when we put it that within the school setting mm -hmm. this is where the, see, and uh, this is where we come into various uh, language models. Uh -huh. Okay, uh, <clears throat> one language model, and which is called at the ninety ten. So it's ninety percent in the home language, ten percent in the second language. Uh huh. Okay? Uh, and the uh, see and, but of course, again, and uh, and I have to stress this, <laughs> that so much. A child needs to have a strong foundation of their home language. Uh -huh. Once they have that strong foundation, that the acquisition of the second language, it is way much easier. So a more effective model then would actually be when you have 
young children who are monolingual Spanish that you continue to teach them in Spanish mm -hmm. to give them a good, strong foundation of learning mm -hmm. and then begin to transition them. But that's not what happens, is it? N well, here it's not. Uh, here it's everything that uh, monolingual. Mm -hmm. It goes in, it, see, and uh, so to me that the biggest thing it is that the support mechanisms that I have for those students aren't as effective as they should be. Uh-huh. And see and what see and then that there's another one in the, which they call a full immersion program. And then that the full immersion Oh right, right. program and the, this is that where people tend to get it wrong. Because a full immersion program that within the school the uh, theory states <clears throat> that uh, you can teach a, a full day to, uh, to children. So half day that will be in one language, the other half in the other language. Ah. But here is the main caveat in, to this. And that this is where a lot of schools that don't understand this. Mm -hmm. And so what happens it is that when you're teaching it, Let's say that the morning half that in one language, mm -hmm. you continue teaching it without repeating what was taught that in the morning. Uh -huh. What happens? It is a lot of schools in which they call themselves a, a uh, <clears throat> that with the program. So what they do is that they teach you in the morning, and then they teach you the same thing in the other language in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. So technically children aren't finding that the benefits that be see and so let's say for example that if you're a spanish speaker mm -hmm. and in the morning that you're getting it all in english you might feel that motivated it is a why why learn it right because, because if the, i just the wait <laughs> the afternoon i am going to get it that in my home language that makes a lot of sense <clears throat> so yes yeah, you see so this is one of the biggest problems that which schools that which call themselves has a uh, full immersion program. Uh -huh. They they often tend to do that. Uh -huh. Repeat that what was taught in the morning session. And then technically it should just be a full continuation. So maybe Spanish <laughs> in the morning and then a different a different lesson in the afternoon but in English <laughs> and then the next day. Yeah, that I, yep. that makes sense. That makes sense. Changing these kinds of of processes, though, mm -hmm. in schools, I think, is really hard, isn't mm -hmm. it? That that and then that the other thing that is also that uh, that when it comes to that when it comes to education, mm -hmm. we also have to think that are about of our non English speakers. It is that we sometimes tend to uh, grade them harshly. Yes. When it comes to writing, when it comes to math, that because it is, you see, uh, and I see, and I can actually say this, in Mexico that they teach mathematics completely different. Oh, yeah? But here it's like, no, show your work. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Okay. And, <clears throat> and the, see, and then that the other thing, it, uh, We've that we've come to the idea. It is the way that we're teaching it. It's the only way in uh, which we have to do it. Yeah. Uh, 
And you see, and yeah. see, and and it's kind of weird, but I actually was speaking that with my brother did about this, mm-hmm. and he actually gave me a good analogy, and uh, see, and uh, he told me, look, you see, let's say that we're trying to get. So let's put into rep, uh, and uh, he told me. So let's say that you're trying to go to Walmart. Uh huh. There's various paths that of getting to Walmart. Uh huh. Right. It doesn't matter that which path that you get. Right. Just as long as we get to Walmart. That's right. That's right. And uh, this is that where see, and uh, this is that where the education system tends to fall into. It's like no, this is the way that which we learned it, and uh, this is the way that which was taught to us. And, and see, and this is like a generational way of thinking. Yeah, yeah, and 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 we're not even talking about what how kids are treated in the classroom mm-hmm. in terms of the the messages that they're getting, mm-hmm. direct or indirect messages about their ability to to learn and to grow and to mm-hmm. um, you know I know we've talked some about. Uh, you know, nobody told. I, I nobody directly told me that I couldn't do anything that I wanted in terms of careers, or but the messages were there. <laughs> and um, I wanted to tell a quick story about what happened to me in like, gosh, I think it was about seventh grade actually, where I was accused of cheating on a test in front of everybody, the whole class. The, the teacher actually said, you cheated, you couldn't have gotten an A on this test. And so in front of the entire class, I was. he said, I'm gonna give you another test and we're all gonna watch you so that we can make sure you don't cheat this time and I'm gonna grade it in front of everybody, which he did, and I got an A again. And he was, oh my God, how, you know, and he was all surprised because he expected me to fail it because he was sure that I wasn't smart enough to get an A on a reading comprehension test, which I was a reader, <laughs> you know, I was a good reader. And, um, and so then they sent me for IQ testing because again, the, uh, the assumption that I must have been extraordinarily bright to be able to pass a reading comprehension test. And, and so what message did that send to me? That everybody thinks you're really stupid and if you show them you're smart, then that gets you a whole different kind mm-hmm. of attention that you may not really want. And 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 I know that, you know, my ne- neither of my kids who are really bright graduated from high school because of the messages that they were getting. And um, and people say, oh no, you know, if you just work really hard, it doesn't matter what color you are, or it doesn't. <laughs> and and that's just BS. <laughs> That's BS that because that we we always have to work twice as hard. We always have to work twice as hard. That's mm-hmm. exactly right. You know, and this is this is this has been the, the reality for our in for generations of us. You know, I had an uncle who wanted to be a plumber and this was one of the family stories that we were told. Um, and he was told right away from his math teacher to forget it that he would never he would never be a plumber because he could never pass the math test the math and just to give it up and and 
my uncle said, you know, my uncle said, nope, I'm, I can do this, you know, you, I can do this. And so he had to work twice as hard, not because he didn't know what he was doing, but because he had to prove to mm -hmm. the instructor that he was good enough. And, you know, it, uh, when I talk to, and you know I do a lot of training w with white people, um, I, I, I liken it to when women entered non-traditional workforce, that women, and most women can relate to this if they're, you know, old enough, <laughs> but, you know, women were discounted in school, discounted at work, and and they, women had to work twice as hard to show that they could do the job just as good that men do, and still do. Mm -hmm. This is still a big problem. We still don't get paid the same amount. And so, but Latinos, Mesoamericans, are having to do that every day when they go to school. And mm -hmm. when you talked about standards, there is a higher standard, which doesn't make and this is well documented in the literature that brown and black and indigenous kids have not asian kids this is the one time asian kids you know are assumed that they're smarter than anybody but um uh that we're always assumed to be not as smart mm -hmm. and then that and, and 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 then that trickles down to what we think we can do with our lives and what we're worth and what contributions we can make um to any community. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, our labor and what our labor can do, but we have brains. And it, go ahead. Do you know what, and this actually brings me to the, the, something that when I used to teach, and yet, okay, uh, I taught uh, three to five years old, and, toward, and towards the end of each school year, I would ask them what they wanted to be. And uh, we always heard that at the usual, firefighter, policeman, mechanic. But I would tell him, hey, well, uh, hey, wait a minute. Well, that don't that don't just think that low, but think higher. Yeah. And and uh, just real quickly, and I have to tell you about that this story. And I had okay. a student whose whose name that was Francisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had asked him that the same question. And and what happens was that on Monday, Fran. Francisco's dad came to speak to me. And then the first thing that I thought was like, oh, what did I say wrong? And so I went through the whole Friday. Oh, um, no. <laughs> that, that mentally. And then he uh, told me, well, then, Mr. Juarez, I wanted to just let you know that over the weekend, Francisco that was helping me change the brakes on a car. Uh -huh. But the only thing was that Francisco told me that when I grew up, I'm going to be an engineer so you can fix the cars that which I design. That's that told me I have never thought of telling Francisco to think that high. Uh-huh. And when I asked him that, who told him that? And then that he told me that it was you. So this is an example of uh, things that which has educators that we sometimes tend, tend to limit children. Yeah. And say, nope. And so that's it. And uh, without seeing that there's more beyond that. That's right. And we are out of time. And I want to thank everybody for listening to uh, myself and 
Oscar, and you've been listening to Hanging with the Oregon Homies, and you'll find us Fridays and Saturdays, 1230 to 1 on KYQ, and you'll also find us on your favorite podcast. And we'll be picking this topic up again, I'm sure. (laughs) Thanks for listening, folks.